Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. So glad you could join me. We are going back to Pheasant Fest. Yes, we are back to Pheasant Fest for some expert advice on all things e-collars from my friend and wise man, guru in that world, Pete Fisher, pro dog trainer, representative of Dogtra, the innovators in that world. And uh, we'll be learning a little bit of, well, everything from how to use your collar in different ways to um, what we shouldn't and should do with those collars that we might be doing wrong. That'll be the highlight of the day for me. I'm looking forward to figuring out what I'm doing that I could be doing differently. We've got lots more, of course, uh, including uh, our Handle It segment where I'll uh, outline some of the lesser-known places that I've had to exercise my dog in recent years. You will talk about the upside to preserve hunts. Yeah, just hear me out on that one. So uh, lots to talk about, all made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, and FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. Yeah, been on the road a bit, and uh, one of the things that constantly amazes me when I'm out there is how little public land there is in, well, what I'll call Southern and Western California. Yeah, we all know the desert side, the east side, where there's uh, virtually unlimited acreage when it comes to the Bureau of Land Management in particular, but on top of everything else, uh, you know, the tourists, the tourist trade, the uh, private sector, if you will, is taking a lot of the ground from from the areas that, you know, we would in many other states be able to hunt or at least run our dog free of a leash or a check cord or anything else. It was uh, tough, uh, but we made some progress on that. And in fact, in one place, I was walking Flick on a lead uh, on a golf course uh, cart path. Ultimately got kicked off of it. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, while we were coming around one of the corners, son of a gun, if there isn't a covey of valley coil. I looked down and he's already on point. So we turned it into a little training steadiness opportunity and it worked pretty well so even the worst of times can become the best of times once in a while if you just keep an open mind there you on the other hand have got plenty of other things to do and you've been talking about it a lot these days you know i've done a study of this and yes i do spend some time at hunting preserves and lodges all over the country That's uh, where you always have birds because uh, that's what you need for a bird dog TV show. But, uh, you know, recently I asked uh, you in my uh, weekly newsletter um, how many of you have gone to a hunting preserve or a lodge in the last year or two, and a a goodly percent, almost 50% of you said yes. So I thought it'd be interesting to um, ask everybody if there is an upside to running your dog at a hunting preserve and uh, some interesting and uh, possibly eye-opening or educational comments from people like Jeff Johnson who says 
I run one. I run my dog on one as a guide. They say birds make a bird dog. Mine takes the reps right to the open field and performs. And also, by the way, it's a good way to get new hunters hooked. Absolutely true, Jeff. Nick Bates says, and I think we'd all agree on this, there's no substitute for wild birds, but if wild birds have been giving a dog a hard time, you can help their confidence by shooting a few birds on a preserve hunt. Get them fired up again. Yeah, absolutely true. In fact, I took a phone call while I was on the road from a friend who needs to work on um, what I'll call gun sensitivity with his young dog. And uh, we talked about ways to use preserved birds correctly, in the right way, judiciously, after deep and thorough consideration. So, anyway, you know what I mean, Manuel. Uh, Eric Digger Reif says your dogs will be happy. They don't know the difference. And you know, that is a, that's an argument for another day as well, but it's absolutely true. I think that, um, a bird smells like a bird. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. Brett Nichols says, uh, I enjoy both wild birds and a preserve my dogs know the difference between preserve and hunting out west. Now, that's different. The birds are the same, but that big, wide-open country is way different than the more compact experience of a preserve. Uh, my friend Ken Corbett says, of course, great birds, habitat, and camaraderie. That's absolutely right. You can get those. You could shop carefully for a great lodge or preserve. You'll get those. And then shop carefully for a good hunting buddy, and you'll get the third one. And Chris Bailey says, more benefits than not. The dog is not learning a damn thing on your couch. <laughs> a good way to sum it up, absolutely. Hey, thanks for all your comments on that and all the other stuff we do on social media. And by the way, thank you. If you are following me on uh, Instagram these days, I think it's uh, wing shooting USA or Scotland and wing shooting. Anyway, whatever it is, thanks a lot. Adding 50 followers a week over there. That's, uh, that's flattering. And I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, we are brought to you in part by PointerShotguns.com. Take a look at their entire lineup of guns from the kind of entry level all the way up to those new case-colored side-by-sides. Yeah, it's all at PointerShotguns.com. See what you like, find a nearby retailer, watch some of my videos and uh, read some of my articles, but mainly take a look at the, I mean, drool over it. Yeah, you will. Those new side-by-sides all the other models, including those Cerakoted in cool colors that'll make you the envy of everybody at the range and in the field. So learn more about Pointer Shotguns right there, PointerShotguns.com. And once you get one, take good care of it by going to SageAndBreaker.com. Get all your gun cleaning and care consumables and heirloom quality I'll just call them carry items, for lack of a better term. The new range bag, going great guns, pardon the pun. Also, uh, shotgun and even rifle cases. Uh, your cleaning um, accoutrements can be uh, assembled into one single spot and organized very carefully with their cleaning um, rug, if you will. 
now available is that range bag. Don't miss out on future sales. You could have heard about it before everybody else if you just signed up for the email list at sageandbreaker.com. I sound great. <laughs> what an op. What an opening right there. And he's absolutely right. I'm Scott Linden here at the, at the Minneapolis Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic with a guy who does sound pretty good most of the time. Very smart guy. Pete Fisher is with Dogtra. You recognize that brand. We'll talk about the products that they carry and how to use them more efficiently very soon. But first off, we are opening the last day of the show here. And uh, so if you didn't get here, we'll try and uh, capture some of the flavor of that as well. But Pete, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Thanks for having me again. I'm losing track of how many times I've been on, but this is the first to be on at Pheasant Fest. So thank you for having me here. Well, it is. There's an energy level here that you don't get on the phone and and it's been fun the whole time and, and it'll be fun this time. I'm almost positive. So tell me about your position at Dogtra and how you help them help us. You know, that's a great question. And, uh, I got introduced here a while back at a rep group training, Scott, and uh, the individual introduced me as Pete Fisher, senior consultant. And uh, to describe what Pete does, he said, is Pete's kind of like the Swiss Army knife for Dogtra. <laughs> so I can do a little bit of everything. Uh, might be the, uh, the best way to describe what I do at Dogtra. But uh, to be a little more specific, I do some of everything in regards to I help them design the product. I help them test the product. Uh, we have a fairly large, what we call field staff. Some companies call it a pro staff, but it's a mixture of individuals that are in the industry that are serious amateur trainers, professional trainers, obviously, and hopefully from all sectors, uh, retrievers, pointers, canine, pet dog world. And I help manage that uh, aspect of it as well. So uh, I do it remotely for the most part from uh, my home, a home office in Albany, Minnesota, where I was born and raised and was in the retriever training business for more years than I want to admit. Okay, now don't hold that against yeah. him, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, and, and most, uh, I would like to say any large um, trade show that you might find Dogtra having a presence at, many times you will find me there working. And so my roots go very deep to Pheasants Forever, to say the least, and we oh, can yeah. talk about that a little bit later, but... Uh, I've, I'm here at Pheasant Fest and working a booth for Dogtra with a staff this weekend. Yeah, so just uh, just on that note, uh, you've been we've we've been open for two days. You're sitting there on one side of the table, fielding questions of all sorts from any number of folks who own dogs of one sort or another. What are some of the most common questions? Well, we get a fair amount of questions, but we get a fair amount of positive comments about our product. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. people will stop by and say, that's the unit I use. They'll bring individuals by, friends, hunting partners, say, this is the unit I use. Pete, talk to them about it. Give them an explanation. That's probably the most common statement that we get working a booth. And I I really enjoy that because that speaks volumes about the product and and the customer service. But we do get uh, individuals that stop by that, you know, would be having, a, a, as you're well aware of, the pheasant is a running bird. If it has the opportunity to outrun the dog and the hunter, that's what it prefers to do. And, of course, uh, the dog that learns to track that 
that pheasant running uh, also learns that if he keeps on going, he gets to chase it in the air, but if he's too far out, he doesn't get rewarded with the retrieve. So that's where the remote training collar or the e-collar, as we call it, back many, many years ago, and some, some of the people that are anti-remote training collars still call them a shock collar. And it works on static electricity, so it does give you a shock. But it's very harmless, but very efficient in the way it can control a dog and keep that dog from running out the end of the field, chasing the pheasant, and the hunter gets frustrated and has a dog that's out of control. So really, we sell a lot of product in uh, the pheasant hunting market, and what better place can we be than at Pheasants Forever. You know, you bring up an interesting point, and I've had this conversation at least three times here at Pheasant Fest this year. I know a guy whose dog will swing wide around that pheasant and head him off at the pass <laughs> and push that bird back to me, or a variation on that. Somebody also described a running roughed grouse, and, and what did he call it? He called it uh, uh, playing with the grouse. <laughs> Circle but, the wagons. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you bring up the, probably the, the pointer man's bane, and that is a pointer that will creep track creep mm -hmm. track and always get a little farther away from the handler and too close to the pheasant so in a nutshell you're not training me to train my dog but tell me what are the basic components of trying to work that dog uh, ultimately to be able to handle that running bird a little better well a great question and 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 the way i explain this to individuals before we take the dog out and just uh put a remote training collar on him and start correcting him in out in the field and in trying to get this dog under the c control, uh, we have to take this dog and condition him to the, to the response that we want from the remote training collar. So the remote training collar is used to reinforce commands the dog already knows. So first the dog has to know the commands before you start using any kind of negative reinforcement followed by positive reinforcement. That's in my opinion and many dog trainers that you would sit down and talk to, uh, that is the basis of, of training a dog is, and then a lot of repetition. So before we take that dog out in the field and start using the electric training collar on him, uh, we have to do that in a controlled environment where the so the dog understands uh, that sensation of the remote training collar. And so that's really a, a big part of it that I emphasize when I'm working with somebody or if I'm explaining to them across a, a booth how this needs to be done. Because it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's part scientific, but it's also where a lot of common sense comes into play yeah. and how we've got to handle this dog and how we have to establish this bond and teach the dog before we take him out in the field and use this product on him. You said scientific. I'm going to say psychological mm -hmm. because uh, I, just finished, I, I just finished a script for a video that I'm going to cut on this very topic and uh, was reminded again of how important it is for dogs to learn these things without a collar first in the yard on the check cord on the lead on the table whatever it is and then you start overlaying these things is that the right Correct. way to describe that it is that would be a good way to explain it the you know the foundation for all of our dog training whether it's a pet dog being obedience trained whether it's a field dog that's going to be out chasing some pheasants up or pointing some pheasants or a dog that's running in competitions for a field trial title or a hunt test title the, the basis or the basic obedience is our foundation for all of our, all of our training. And I always uh, give the similarity to building a house. If I haven't put down a good foundation and I just start, start putting the walls up in the roof, um, we're going to have problems because I haven't laid a good foundation underneath it. So it really is important. Our foundation is 
obedience training before we start any remote training caller. And you know, uh, you say obedience training. By the way, I stole that word foundation and used it several <laughs> times in the accompanying article to that video I'm going to do. But, uh, but the idea that obedience, I'm making air quotes there, is sit, stay, come. It is all that. But then it's all sorts of other things. And you might know Bob Ferris, great poodle pointer trainer, NAPTA yeah. judge, etc. Mm -hmm. Bob's a great guy, and I've trained with him a lot. Thanks, Bob. Um, he, he really opened my eyes to that, and I'm going to give you one example. He says a dog runs into the scent cone, slams a point. That's instinct. It becomes obedience the moment he realizes He's got to work for the handler from that point on. So you need to train the you know, steadiness as if it's an obedience uh, command as well. Yes. And I, I'll take it a step further and say, okay, so the command may or may not be, whoa. It may be the scent alone. It may be the sight of the bird. It might be the sound of the bird as it flushes. It might be all sorts of things. I know one trainer who teaches his dog to stop when he hears the guy scuff his feet in the gravel. It's kind of a cheat in the field trial world, I mm -hmm. think. But, but anyway, all those things are just commands. Correct. Instead of saying, whoa. Um, am I on the right track there? You are. And, and I might explain it this way from the retriever world, is that if we get a retriever that likes to uh, retrieve, we want a dog that has good drive and instinct to do it. If we left that dog in an untrained environment and we, he found a bird or we shot a bird for that dog, he or she, the dog is going to run out there and do one of a couple things. He's going to run out there and eat it, <laughs> go dig a hole and bury it. Have you, have you been watching my videos? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and go bury it for, to eat later. Yeah. So the natural instinct is to chase it. Yeah. The obedience part comes in teaching the dog to bring it back to yeah, me yeah. For, for my table. So it is a mixture of we want a dog uh, that has good natural ability, but we want to play on that natural ability, but it all revolves back to obedience. Yeah. And so that would just be a very basic um, situation or an example of, of a dog that a retriever really is maybe a poor name to call them a retriever because they don't naturally, all of them, bring stuff back to you. Yeah, I know. They like to chase it, <laughs> but the retrieve, the, the bring back to hand is a trained yeah. uh, part of what we do with these dogs. So, so there's another obedience Correct. command, if you yes. will. You know, my wife, when she was deeper into the agility world and training her corgis, mm -hmm. uh, some really good trainer, thank you, Jan, um, used the term impulse control mm -hmm. and you just described the impulse i want to eat it i want to bury it and eat it later the last thing i want to do is what he wants me to do that's the impulse correct i need to be told that i can't really do that at some point i have to work with that human correct um you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. That's Pete Fisher with Dogtra. You know those folks as the uh, electronic collar and training guys. I'm Scott Linden. Uh, we're here at the Minneapolis version of Pheasant Fest and the Quail Classic, uh, closing out today uh, on the floor. So if you're, if you're listening and you didn't come by and say hello, I won't hold it against you. 
next year we'll see you in Sioux Falls, I think. Correct. Pete, um, what is the biggest use for a, uh, a dog to collar that we don't think about? And I'll share some of mine I've learned over the years from other people usually. But we talk about it, expanding the repertoire of things you can do with an e-collar. Tell me one that you, most of us may not know. Well, you know, I, I think there's a number of them, but I, I think what I need to touch on first, Scott, is what the most common yeah. uh, use yeah. is of it. And the most common use is getting your dog to come back when it's called. Uh-huh. And, and a dear friend of mine, and, and he's, he's, uh, if, he, if he hears me say this, he's going to cringe a little bit, and we talked to him earlier, is Tom Dockin. And, and Tom and I were talking one day, and he made the statement. He said, a dog that does not come when it's called eventually is a dog that's in trouble. Yeah. And that is that is the most common problem that we see with a rough dog, a dog that's had no training whatsoever, is is that the dog is just being a dog, Scott. Yeah. So that is the most common use from not only the hunting dog world but also the pet dog world. You know, when I was in the dog training business, many times I would do pet dog training for individuals, and let's say the lady would bring the dog out, and she would say, "I'm so frustrated every time. I'm so tired of every time the door opening up." And the dog getting out the back door, I've got to run for the minivan keys, is what a woman said to me one day. And, and, uh, and there's a lot of truth to that. But the recall is, is the most important uh, command in, in any sector. And, and, and that's pet dog, canine, retriever, pointer. Uh, and, and to Tom's point is a, a dog that does not consistently come when can't, called is eventually a dog that's going to be in trouble. But one of the things that we run into is people don't understand is that how you can use the remote training collar beyond that. Yeah, and, yeah. And so uh, one thing that a lot of individuals don't understand a use for, the average person is, as again, in the retriever world, we use the remote training collar to reinforce three different commands. Come to me that I just explained. Go stationary, which is a sit position, and go away from me, such mm-hmm. as into a kennel, mm-hmm. a boat, back of my pickup. So those are really, that's a three-step process that we all condition dogs to do when we put them through an e-collar conditioning program. And so one thing that a lot of individuals don't understand is how we can take that remote training collar and use it for steadiness. Again, I come from the retriever world, how we can get a dog that sits nice at our side in the blind while the ducks are hovering over the decoys and the guns are going off and the calls are going off. There's a lot of distractions, a lot of opportunity for this dog to break is what we call it. So we use the remote training collar on a light tap, 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 okay. to get the dog with his hind end back down on and stay in the, on the ground, stay in that position so he doesn't break on the birds, not only ruin the hunt by running in front of the, the gun and, and out into the bird field or the pond, but also a safety factor yeah. as well. So, uh, and when I work with uh, people that haven't, don't have a lot of knowledge on the remote training collar, they'll say, my gosh, you used it to, uh, we were only using it to get him to come when he's called. But we use it in a full process of three steps. Come to me, go stationary, go away from me. Once the dog has been through that conditioning process, now we can start. Now we get a dog, once he, he stops at our side and sits on commands, we'll take a light stimulation, then he'll do it at 10 feet, then he'll do it at 20 feet, then he'll do it at 20 yards. And eventually we work a dog up that is going to be a performance dog that would run in a hunt test or field trial, a ribbon runner, let's call him, yeah. or a well-trained handling gun dog. That's the dog that you see 100 yards, 150, 200 yards out in the field, stops, turns on a whistle, 
casts left, right, and back, and goes back and finds that bird that's been knocked down and sailed away. You know, you, you, you're, you're talking all around what the, the revelation to me, and in, uh, in there are any number of ways to use an electric, mm-hmm. electronic caller. Um, uh, from aversion to positive reinforcement to what I think it's really doing quite often, and that is interrupting a dog's train of thought and controlling that impulse mm-hmm. I talked about earlier. Am I on the right track? You use that dog in the blind situation. I think that's what you're really doing there. Am I right? You're correct. We're, we're, uh, like we're tapping him on the shoulder, yeah. so to speak, yeah. and saying, let's not forget our obedience commands because mm-hmm. I want you to sit and wait until I give you the cue to go and get your reward, which, for, again, for a Labrador retriever, as an example, is to go out and get the bird and bring it back and get praise from the owner. So yes, it's that opportunity to interrupt that dog's thought process when he might go be go, ready to go into high drive yeah. mode and go yeah. chasing. It, and then it gives us the opportunity to do it at a distance, Scott. Yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, and, and this, all these run on FM radio frequencies. So the dog, he can be 10 feet from me sitting in another blind and I can still tap, tap, tap to remind him if he's starting to get antsy and going to break. So yes, it gives us the opportunity to interrupt that thought process or that that uh, point where that dog is going to break or not come when he's called, like mm-hmm. I said earlier, mm-hmm. or break out the end of a, a field after a bunch of pheasants or a deer. Now we got him out on a busy road, that kind of thing. So it, it really is It's all about just getting more control over our dog, but also being able to implement that control at a distance. We joke about it. We call it a hearing aid sometimes, and at a distance, that's uh, to a large degree the effect we get out of it. Um, and, and, and before we conclude this segment, I, I just want to riff on that for a moment because you just got me another thought, Pete Fisher of Dogtra, and that is um, what we're trying to do uh, to a large degree is just remind them we're, we're not trying to punish them. So the best thing we can do is know when that dog is about ready to lose control of his impulse. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tells, just like a poker player or a dog? And I, I look at mine, and I know I know when he's ready to take a command, because even if he's 100 yards out, he's looking at me a little bit as he's running past or whatever. How about some other tells that a dog is showing that might indicate, first off, that he's about ready to lose control of his mm-hmm. impulse or is ready to take a command? Well, every dog is different. Yeah. And uh, what I would... Uh, the best analogy I can make is to, it's almost like you and I being out duck hunting or pheasant hunting, we have to learn our lead yeah. uh, on any yeah. particular yeah, yeah. bird point. and the angle it's coming from. Yeah. You have to be able to read your dog. You have to be able to understand when that dog might be breaking. And quite frankly, Scott, some of these dogs may not ever give you any kind yeah. of warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of it, in my opinion, has to do with reading your dog. And that comes from spending a lot of time with them, but also spending a lot of time training that dog. And, and I'm a, a big proponent of a lot of preseason training. Early dog, young dog work is really important. And, and I think I mentioned this on your last podcast is I'm doing a, a dog demonstration for a youth group, Pheasants Forever Youth Group, and I had about 150 uh, kids there and their parents, and we got. I got talking about how the importance of training a dog before you ever take them in the field. And the analogy I made was, you know, how many of you in the group uh, play youth baseball? 
and almost every one of them, girls and boys, raised their hand that they played baseball. And I said, how many of you go to baseball practice? And again, all of them raised their hand. And the analogy I make is these kids go to practice many, 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 many times before they actually play in a game. And we use the same analogy with a dog. We just don't, shouldn't be taking a dog out in the field, putting him in a hunting in, in situation without practicing. And the analogy that I ultimately use is if you didn't take your kid to practice and he fortunately or unfortunately got a hit his first time up or her first time up and got the hit ball hit in the field, he wouldn't know to run to first base, second base, or the parking lot. So there is a reason that we do all this training before we ever take him in the field. That's Pete Fisher with Dogtra, the electronic collar company. Um, exciting things soon to come from them. I can't wait to be able to talk about them more. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast from Pheasant Fest. Yeah, next year we'll see you in Sioux Falls. In the meanwhile, we'll be right back. We've got a lot more coming up on the Upland Nation podcast, so don't go away. We have more from Pete Fisher, uh, wisdom and advice on everything e-collar and dog training oriented from a guy who's been there and done that as a pro in fact some great stories off mic as well we'll also uh talk to you about uh the handlet segment and uh where uh you might want to run your dog when there's no place to run your dog yeah so uh stick around for all of that and more right here on the upland nation podcast we're brought to you in part by truelockchokes.com if you're one of the many folks who prefers to extend one's upland season into turkey hunting season great news all the pinhoti turkey chokes at truelockchokes.com are now 15 percent off so stock up get the one that's going to get the gobbler for you it's all at truelockchokes.com if you get the newsletter follow the link right there if you don't, just go to truelockchokes.com and they'll tell you how to take 15% off your turkey choke order through April. Learn more at truelockchokes.com. And uh, once you're done there, visit us at findbirdhuntingspots.com. There's always something new there, whether it's dog training advice or uh, another way for you to access public ground. Those are the two primary subjects there at findbirdhuntingspots.com. It's also a good place to get a link to the new Upland Nation webinar on public access. About an hour's worth of information there. Learn more at find birdhuntingspots.com Welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here, Pete Fisher with Dogtra there. We're on the floor of Pheasant Fest and the Quail Classic and just covering a whole bunch of really interesting things. And, Pete, I want to I carry on with the discussion. I, I talked about years ago I asked a question on social media. I said, uh, how else do you use your electronic collar? Um, and and when, when, I when I say e-collar, I mean all the stuff that's attached to it, almost literally bells and whistles and things like that. And one good friend of mine said, in the grouse woods, I'll use the beeper as a recall tool. And uh, I get it, and it makes a lot of sense, and I've seen other people do the same. What about other things in that 
uh, I call it the repertoire of, of uh, tools that are attached to a dog's neck, could we use? Sure. Well, almost every remote training collar that Doctor Company makes has what we call the pager vibration. Yeah, yeah. And that is what we call a non-static, non... Uh, um, it's, it's just a buzz or a vibration, no different than exactly. your, your, your phone vibrating in your, in your pocket when you get a text message uh, or a call. And so we can use that as a, a form, as a, an attention getter, and we could use it many different ways, Scott. We could use it out in the field. Let's say a dog is uh, coming in and, and pointing a bird and going to catwalk or creep on it. You could use the pager to firm that up if he's been trained in a, in a, in a controlled environment to know what that pager is all about. Uh, you could use it for a, a, what I call a silent recall. Uh, a lot of canine people use this, so they put a, a bite dog in a building, and this dog is running all over searching for the bad guy, let's call him, and let's say the do- person is not in there, and now they, or they want the dog back out, is they've taught this silent recall command using the pager rather than using the static stimulation to bring that dog back out of the building. You could use it the same way oh, yeah. with, with a flushing dog, um, it provided they've been trained ahead of time to understand what that cue means of the pager vibration. But yeah, that every unit we make comes almost comes with that nowadays. I love it, and and that re- reminds me of a, a topic I've written and talked about before, and that is stealth in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and yesterday I had a conversation or two about uh, about how jumpy wild birds can get if they hear a truck door slam or too many whistles or somebody screaming at their dog 100 yards away that's a perfect example of that and uh, i i i don't use it quite that way but i think i might start overlaying a command right there because i like the idea of being able to use uh the vibrator in another way of course like you said and just for the record all this stuff starts in the yard on the table with a check cord and a lead and all of that. We, they got to learn it that way first. Correct. In a controlled environment before we take them out and yeah. put them in the playing field, so to speak, out on the football field or the baseball yeah. diamond. Yeah. The dog has to have that foundation work to understand it uh, before we ever get to that point. Mm-hmm. But the, the beeper locator is, is yeah. another uh, feature that we have on quite a few of our, our units and is extremely popular with the pheasant hunter. And so... So much of the cover nowadays, at least in my area, is native prairie grasses. On a, on a good year, it's very thick, and it's, the dog gets 10 yards from you, Scott, and you don't know where he is anymore, or yep. she. And so the beeper locator, I can give a couple taps, and it gives an audible beep, so now I know where the dog is at. Because many of these dogs hunt so fast, especially when they come right out of the box and they're fresh, okay? My, my old uncle Fritz Opitz uh, used to take his hard-charging Labrador and, and he'd let him out a mile prior to the hunting spot and let him run behind the car. <laughs> and uh, that was before the, the, uh, the remote training caller came uh, on the scene many years ago. But uh, now we take this dog out and we turn him loose in the field and he's gone. You know, yeah. he's coming out hot. He's, he's full of energy and you've lost him already, yep. and you don't know where in the heck he's gone. The beeper locator gives me the ability to tap that a few times, and, and I, I can say, geez, he's, he's only that 10 yards away yet, yeah. or he's 110 yep. because you know how fast these dogs can move. That is, I think, in the last 20 years, the beeper locator uh, for keeping track of your dog in the uplands, whether you're in the grouse woods or if you're up in the pheasant fields up at my place or out in the Dakotas, that is... 
I think probably the, one of the biggest features we've added to this product. And, and we've taken ours and, and mounted it down into the receiver box. So it's very, yeah, yeah. it's not, not a great big block sitting up on top of the dog's neck that can get caught on fences when they go underneath it. But that one particular feature I think is a game changer. And, and the pheasants probably have hated it uh, because now the hunter can keep track of where his dog is at in the field. You know, uh, you, you've inspired me. I'm going to tell you one story, but before I do, Fritz Opus would be a great name for a metal band. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I'll give you uh, one testimonial. So we were hunting not too far from here in water near Watertown, South Dakota, several seasons ago, and uh, and it was a uh, you know a pond with a bunch of cattails, and uh, it was very small. But uh, we were looking for pheasants, of course, and. <clears throat> Couldn't find the dog. Still couldn't find the dog. And, you know, you know he's not moving because there's no rustling in the cattails. And, uh, and so, son of a gun, I start beeping. And I'm, I'm kind of vectoring in based on the beep. And I, I am literally two feet from the dog before I realize he's two feet from me. Mm-hmm. And he's on a point. And I'm looking at him. And then I'm thinking, that's a funny-looking point. And then I kind of part the cattails and at the other end of the point at the nose end of the point is a raccoon pointing my dog (laughs) and you know what happens next (laughs) so the raccoon doesn't have a collar i can't do anything to him so i can grab the the wire hair and pull him off as the raccoon makes a dash for the other (laughs) side of the pond everybody came out of it fine we killed a pheasant later that day in the same cattails but those are the things that really help us in the field and we again you know but let's talk about that beeper for just a moment more he's got to learn about that i mean i don't care where it is on the collar but by the way i love that it's down here and not up here Mm -hmm. because it's farther from their ears correct and uh, they got enough problems with that shooting over them and everything but um we just check me on this we need to teach them first off what a beeper sounds like so they don't freak out when they're already 200 yards away and second off that it is a an extension of your vocal cords in many cases correct the the beeper uh some dogs you could get away with putting it on them uh and they they wouldn't think Give it a second thought, Scott. Yeah. Other, many other dogs, you would want to condition them to that sound because it is fairly loud. Yeah. And again, it is something new to the dog. The dog, it's not like we walk over and we take it out of the box and we show them the box and we say, this is the new beeper locator. Dogs don't learn on that level. Otherwise, we'd sit a book or a video out in front of them every night and we'd never train them. we just let them learn by watching and reading. So we have to take it out. Uh, some dogs that would show some um, concern over that beeper I may just put it in the, the point mode where it's going to beep every so many seconds. I might hang it up on his collar and just leave it there, Scott. Yeah, well, just, hold it. You said collar, but you were up here like this. Your hand was up here. Up in the kennel. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So, so not even on him. Correct. Yeah. And, and it is fairly loud also, yeah. Scott. And so let's say I did put it up there or just started doing a couple beeps where the dog was out running around, yeah. doing something positive, just having fun. Yeah. And if that dog put on the brakes and showed me that he was concerned about it, I might go and take a piece of duct tape and put it over the end of the speaker horn to cover it and muffle it even more. And then I would put it in that location up on the kennel or up in a room somewhere and then just make it part of the dog's life That's until golden. I put it on him. That is, I've also put a ball of cotton in there exactly. before I put the duct tape on. Yep. All those things so that 
Well, like everything else, and, and distance is one. You know what I'm talking about here. If we're going to introduce gunfire, for example, we don't introduce it right over the dog's head. Not he's a good at idea. A, he's <laughs> at 50 yards, and it's a cap pistol, and so on and so forth. Exactly. Same thing, same thing about volume. Yes. So I, I love that idea. You know, what, are, what is the biggest mistake we make when we're using an e-collar on a dog? Maybe not the first time, but at some point. I'm going to start. If you're pissed off, and I don't care if it's at the dog or your hunting buddy or the, the fact or that there are no birds, <laughs> put that thing in your pocket. Yeah. Beyond that, though, what are some of the uh, stupid things we do? Well, well, I think everything in life goes better if you have a good positive mindset uh, to start with, whether that's <laughs> driving down the freeway or training your dog, okay? So uh, I, I, I think that's very important, what you just, what you just said. But the, the thing that uh, I think is really important is, is when we, we don't get a lot of opportunities to go out and do the things that we want to do. So as an example, we're filled with, uh, in a big room with lots of people that want, like to pheasant hunt. And they don't get, we live in a world nowadays where we don't get a lot of time, Scott. And now you've taken that dog out and you want to go pheasant hunting and you've lost control over him. For whatever reason, maybe you, you didn't use the remote training collar, didn't ever have one. And, and so now you're frustrated because you, you've got this little window of time to do some things that you really want to enjoy and the dog has ruined it. So I, I think the, you know, maybe to flip that, that question around a little bit, I think one of the biggest mistakes a lot of individuals make is not using the remote training collar at all, thinking that they yeah. can go uh, naturally and quite honestly, I've never met a dog that was worth his salt out in the field that didn't need a remote training collar. Yeah. And, and I'll share this real, this real quick story with you. I have the remote training collar on my dog doing this dog demonstration I spoke about earlier for Pheasants Forever, a youth uh, conservation group, and, and I've got my master hunting retriever uh, tray with me, and uh, the, the training collar's on him and the transmitter's in my pocket, and we're talking about just the things that we've been talking about on the podcast here, and they see the remote training collar. I talk about the remote training collar. I don't try and hide the remote training collar. I talk about it in a positive light and how the control I have over my dog and how it's built this dog into what you see here, a well-oiled hunting retriever. And there was a lady in the crowd and, and she finally raised her hand and, and said, you know, uh, my dog uh, will do all those things, uh, but I, I don't use a remote training collar. And I said, well, that's, that's good. That's nice. And then, um, but I said, uh, you, you've got a, a heck of a dog. Uh, I use it. And you know, just sit tight and watch and let me show and talk about what my dog can do. And, uh, and she had a couple more questions. And I said, you know, not to get too far off track here, but I want to address your questions. But let's do this. I'm going to be done here in about 30 minutes. You don't live too far away. You run home and get your dog. I'll be right here with my dog. Then we'll see. I don't want to hear stories anymore. <laughs> I want to see what your dog will do. I don't know if I need to finish this story, but she never went and got her dog. So... I think one of the, 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 the biggest issues with uh, individuals, in, let's say in the pheasant hunting world, is that they have got a fear of using the remote training collar. It's a powerful tool, Scott. You don't have to, it doesn't take any darn work at all. I just stand there and I can push buttons. But back in the day, in the early days, it got this stigma of being a shock collar. Yeah. And they were yeah. only one level of intensity, and that was high. Yeah. And so, but they've come a long way. I mean, in size, in features, 
we can dial the amount of stimulation down so it's barely even, uh, you can barely feel it through your nerve endings. And the, the best analogy I can make is that is if you've ever used a TENS machine at a physical therapy or a chiropractor, it is the same principle as that. It's just that we've taken the FM signal from a transmitter to that receiver and we can implement it without a bunch of wires connected to it. So I think it's the, the, the biggest issue is not so much what people have done with the remote training caller. I'd like to think that it's more that they've they're not been exposed properly to it or they it has that still has that stigma sure. that it can burn a dog, it can it can shock a dog. And I could go, we could do a whole nother podcast about how a remote training caller can't burn a dog because they don't produce enough energy. But I think that's the biggest issue is that people are there's still a fair amount of people that are, they know they need it, but they're, they're afraid to use it. You know, th- th- that's mind-boggling to think in this, God, I can't believe I'm saying this. In this day and age, with so much of what you guys are telling us, you and your competitors, for our, who are mm-hmm. all, we're all friends. Yeah. Um, that people still have that misconception. It means there, it must be true. There, there is a misconception <laughs> yeah. out there, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, you know, if you tell a lie long enough and... Yeah, and if you uh, yeah. if you're good at selling it, yeah, people believe you. But but the remote training collar doesn't produce enough uh, energy to burn tissue. But pressure necrosis sores are an issue anytime you hang anything around your neck. So don't leave it on a long time. Correct. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are some fitness devices without naming names out there that human beings have worn over the last ten years and have gotten pressure necrosis sores. It's the equivalent of a bed sore, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so. Uh, it, it doesn't produce enough energy to burn tissue. Um, it, it's, it's a great device if used properly, but that's like everything else in, in this world, Scott. And yeah. so um, I, I, we have a much better trained dog because of the remote training collar now than we did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago because of the advancements, not only in the product, but the advancements in the training programs and how we implement them. Yeah, you know, let's leave it with that. Uh, you know, if you're going to use a training collar, uh, you need to be trained as well. Correct. And, and well, it would be great to come in and give Pete a big pile of money and have him train you to use <laughs> an electric collar. You can do it with the, the great support system that organizations like Dogtra.com have Correct. for you and learn how to do it and then learn your dog how to do it, if you will. I'm sorry, I sound like Jethro Clampett when I say <laughs> it that way. But there is a learning curve for both yes. sides of the current, of the signal, and, uh, and then, poof, you do have a 1,000-yard check cord. And isn't that exactly. what we all want in, you know, in life, in bird hunting life? Exactly. And, you know, to that point with the, with the check cord, you know, there's been, been a, a, a kind of a war going on on the Internet, uh, on social media between the, the, the non-e-collar users and the e-collar users. And the one non-e-collar user, I saw him writing about, it was a pet dog trainer saying, uh, my dog is, if I don't have control over him, uh, if I get him in a situation, he's going to be on a long rope or a lead. Well, in the real world, Scott, that's, that's just unrealistic that my dog's going to be dragging around a 100-foot rope uh, when I take him out in suburbia or if I take him out in the pheasant field. I'm going to spend half of my day or all of my day unwinding rope out of the weeds and, <laughs> and stuff. And that's not the case once we put the remote training collar on him. But to your point you, uh, earlier, you made a really valid point is that we have so much information out there at our fingertips now through the manufacturers of the remote training collars, but also, Scott, 
we have uh, the pet electronic pet manufacturers association has a lot of information uh, it's called PETT uh, the pet electronics training it's that is the conglomeration of all of us that we have an association that we build good solid products that their safety levels are met but we also provide a lot of information on how do we use this tool and it, it, there's a lot of great information out there all of the manufacturers produce good information nowadays yeah well, let's leave it at that. If you want more information on the products and get ready for some new ones, dogtra.com is where you learn all this. Pete Fisher, we got to do this on a way more regular basis. It was so fun, and I learned so much from you. Thanks for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. Scott, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been fun. Handle it. Our Handle It segment is next. We're going to talk about... Uh, well, something uh, that I've been facing a lot lately, uh, where do you run a dog when there's no place to run a dog? It's coming up on the Upland Nation podcast. Uh, before we get to that, though, let me remind you that MidwayUSA.com is where you can watch some of my videos exclusively and read some of my articles. Again, you won't find them anywhere else. These are things I'm doing just for Midway usa.com everything from how to pick a puppy to some of the early puppy training things you want to do a little bit of everything going into some of that e-collar topic as well and uh, what i've learned over the years uh, so check it all out at midwayusa.com you know they carry just about everything for shooting hunting and the outdoors and they're doing their darndest to serve the upland bird hunting and bird dog community as well now so Take a long look at MidwayUSA.com. And once you got all your gear, you want to test it all out, uh, swing on by if you're near Western Oregon somewhere just off Interstate 5. Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School in the lovely, wonderful town of Jervis, Oregon near Salem. Whether you want to take a claycation and park your RV there for a few days, as I've done, take a lesson shop the pro shop yeah including the incredible selection of guns they have at midvalleyclays.com that's where you learn more about all of that stuff schedule your instructional time or just come on out and shoot some of the many clay target games they have there it's all available to you at midvalleyclays.com Yeah, when you travel, you know, maybe it's a little bit easier for us out in the West, but it's it's a problem no matter where you go. If you got a bird dog that needs a lot of run and there's no open space, what's a guy going to do? Well, the first thing a guy does is invest in one of those chuck it kind of launchers for tennis balls because that is probably a godsend to most of us uh, you can throw that tennis ball in any number of places and a lot of dogs will chase it forever but if you're looking for a place to do all that and you can't find the open space uh, or the open space is not available to a free-running dog what do you do well here are some places i've found over the years that work pretty well downtown reno nevada of all places a closed shopping mall had a gigantic parking lot behind the mall that was virtually fenced in you get up early enough and there's nobody there and you can run your dog out there till um, hell freezes over and in reno that's pretty often <laughs> you can google schools 
parks. And then another term to use on Google is open space. Found one of those in Paso Robles, California recently. It was not a park. It was not a school. It was just called a so-and-so open space. So check all those out via Google Maps. Some of those big corporate parks in some of the more urbanized areas are more like a park than some urban parks. And again, some may be closed, but some may be open, especially if you get up early enough. So browse your Google Map. You might get pleasantly surprised. Uh, I found reservoir accesses. Uh, there's all sorts of hidden public spaces or even private spaces. And I believe in Little League. I built Little League fields. I played Little League. Sometimes they'll even let you run your dog there. And boy, oh boy, what a great surprise. Take you back to your own baseball career. So check it all out. And thanks a lot for all the folks who have hosted me and Flick over the years running in places where we couldn't find anywhere else to run. Now this is where we get to say thank you to Pete Fisher of Dogtra for all your... Yeah, hey Pete, you are a guru. Thank you so much for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. All of you who commented at the social platforms and whose contributions are definitely worthwhile. Appreciate that. If you left a rating or a review, that's how we grow. Thank you very much. And our sponsors, sageandbreaker.com, pointershotguns.com, midvalleyclays.com, and truelockchokes.com. I invite you to take a look at findbirdhuntingspots.com as well, where you will always find something new and something worthwhile. Yeah, it's a funny time of year for all of us, but we've got plenty to do, whether it's cleaning the truck or training the dog. So uh, thanks again for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. I'll see you at the range.